And now I would like to introduce our speaker, Peter M. All wrong, wrongdoing arises from the mind, which is what a lot of you guys just experienced. And to a transformation, spiritual transformation and a renewing of the mind, what wrongdoing can exist? And when we get silent for two minutes, most of us get incredibly uncomfortable. I do this a lot when I do workshops just to watch. And lots of things are being thought of. Some people think something's wrong. Maybe he got drunk, you know. <laughs> but we get to see how busy the mind is in a simple two, that was two minutes. And I'm surprised no one walked out because sometimes people walk out and say, this is not an AA meeting, I have to leave. Because it contradicts the game plan that the mind has set up the same way God will contradict the game plan he has that your mind has set up. And a house divided against itself can't stand. My book tells me that I have the mind of a chronic alcoholic when, when uh, uh, Roland Hazard was told those words. 
I have the mind of a chronic alcoholic. Ideas, attitudes, and emotions, which once the guiding forces of my life, what sort of ideas, attitudes, and emotions I have driving me now, all coming from the mind. Book says the main problem centers in the mind, not the body. Because I'm separated from alcohol, my mind is still very busy. And I can touch two minutes of forced silence and get to see how much noise, how much of a traffic jam I have going on and how my need to control what's going on surfaces. Here's the speaker. He says nothing. What's wrong with this meeting? What's going on? How come he's not talking? He's supposed to be talking. I'm here for a meeting. This is not the kind of a meeting I want. What step is he on? The guy's a fool. Let's get out of here. You know, whatever goes on. Or some of us go, right, it's a good time. I can text. My name is Peter. I'm a recovered alcoholic. So thanks for enduring that with me. And I like to play with that anytime I do a workshop. Sometimes I do them longer. I usually watch by how many people are getting squarely in their skin. I know I got to shut it down right away. And it gives me a moment to back away. A um, lot of activity in here tonight. Uh, very busier than the past five weeks I've been here. And uh, so uh, I don't know what I'm going to say before I go say it. And uh, so I get up here and something says, be still. And we get to talk about that. We come from a place of silence, and that's where we return to when we go home to God. But what do, what do I do from the time I'm born till, die, till the time I die? How much noise do I got going on? And for any al alcoholic or addict, we have a lot of noise going on. We have a lot of traffic going on in the head. And it's pulled us in 80 different directions. And at 10 o'clock, I will agree with your suggestion that you give me. And at 10.05, I'm doing my own thing anyway. Because those voices pull, and they're seductive, and they pull us away from God. And what 429 forces me back to is God. And the first thing the mind does is get in the way of that and say, now hold on a second, I wrote the script, he's good, but I know better. My sponsor's smart, but I know better. So who's really making the thoughts? Who's really in charge of my life? Do I think I have thoughts or the thoughts have me? Am I a hostage to my mind and my fears, or am I host to a loving God? And I can quickly, I can, me, personally, can quickly see that by my actions. I can preach you a great sermon. I can agree with my sponsor and say you're the greatest thing since, since sliced bread. I'll do anything you want. But my actions prove different. And we can see how teachable we are by how we follow directions and how willing we are by how we follow directions and stop writing the script. And what step four does is stop the script. Because step four is not about me writing step four. It's about God channeling through me or through you to write a fourth step because it said searching, fearless, and moral. There's no way on God's earth now, with 25 years sober, that I can be searching, fearless, and moral along the lines of God's will. I'll be searching, fearless, and moral as long as I look good. As long as we don't get too deep here. And as long as everything goes according to my plan. So I need to do this. I need to do that, and you have to go along with it. If I don't, I have a resentment. So when I showed up to step four, I had a lot of resentments because no one was playing with me. No one was playing my game, and after a while, I got hip to the script I wrote, and they didn't like it, and I was in the world to play the role I assigned. I assigned you. I assigned God. I assigned everyone a role, and they weren't playing that role, and I get really annoyed, and I become very fearful. All action is born in thought, so the problems arise out of my mind. Every problem I've ever had in my life, every problem, 
Even if people were outright wrong and I was involved in a drive-by, every problem's because of me on my perceptions of it, because they didn't do what I want. And we can justify some of the resentments. We'll say, look what they did. You'd be angry too. But anger is a dubious luxury of normal men. I can't afford that. I can't afford to be angry. There is no anger that's justified. Because what's behind every piece of anger is fear anyway. What's behind every resentment is fear. My entire inventory, if I funnel it into one word, fear. My whole life is fear. And as Alkies, our whole life is fear. I don't care how tough we pretend to be or how street smart we pr pretend to be. We're like scared little kids who lost mama in the mall. And we will show up with a lot of stuff, a lot of jewelry, a lot of stuff, flexing the muscles. I got the best hand. I got the nicest job. With a lot of stuff we show up to AA with. And the old timers say, that doesn't impress us anymore. We see right through it. And that's a rude awakening for many of us. It's the first place I ever landed, even though I did at the beginning pretend I had my act together, the old timers saw right through it. It was finally, they forced transparency upon me to them. It was the first place I finally landed where I didn't have to pretend anything. Yeah, I'm broken and I'm sick. All I do is think about drinking. They says, welcome, because we've been in the same hole. But you're going to go back to drinking unless you get a relationship with God. And for the folks who got white chips tonight, it, God is the solution and nothing less than that great fact. So they'll tell you about making 90 meetings in 90 days, and they'll tell you put the plug in a jug, and they'll tell you uh, meeting makers make it. None of that stuff's going to keep you sober, but the one who will keep you sober is when we seek God. That's my bartender. I'm a little busy right now. Just a joke. <laughs> Resentment, number one offender, so relax. <laughs> it, it happened to me. I was watching my sponsor speak at a conference. I got front row, dead center. My phone goes off. <laughs> I can't repeat what he told me after the meeting. but um, God couldn't what if he was sought. And one of the things we do in step four is start to dismantle self. And it's a force feeding of humility. And last week we talked about resentments being a number one offender. No resentments are acceptable. The mind will want to justify some resentments. The mind will want to justify some anger. And the mind will justify fear. The mind will justify anything to get me back behind a bar. Behind a bar. The mind will justify anything for me to get involved in some other things. That's its job. And it isn't until I get to the 11th step which says that I can have proper use of the will. That my thinking will finally be cleared of wrong motives. Prior to the 11th step, anything the mind tells you, consider it wrong. And I know a lot of new folks, bless their heart, they got plans and designs like I did. I need to do this, and I'm going to do that because I'm sure about this. And I want to know where the crystal ball is. Because quite frankly, I don't know if I'm going to wake up tomorrow morning. I don't know what's going to happen to me after this meeting. But I do know one thing, I can't keep myself sober. And I surrender to a loving God to carry out the vision of his will for me, not my vision for me. Because my vision for me is selfish, self-centered, self-absorbed, self-seeking. It's all about me. At the end of the day, I'm sick again. I find out who I am by finding out who I am not. I find out who God is by finding out what God is not. And my attachments to everything outside of me that try to fill me up, and it kept being empty. The sex sprees, the food sprees, the money sprees, the fear sprees, the thinking sprees, the sprees. 
And I'm very remorseful with a firm resolution. I'm not going to go back there again. This is why we're in AA, guys. I got a plot. I got a plan. I know exactly how to do this. They don't know what they're talking about. We could have 500 people saying, do not make a left turn. We say, I got it, but I can make a left turn. <laughs> Boom. So I write out this resentment inventory, and I got to touch a lot of things I had hate for, and I could never admit I had hate towards anyone. But to be quite frank, it was through some searching, fearless, immoral inventory that I couldn't even discuss how angry I was with my mom when I put it on paper. I realized I hated my mom for dying. I didn't hate her as a person, but I hated her for dying. I hated her for committing suicide. I had to get clear with that. I thought that was a hit just now. I don't know what was going on. <laughs> I'm from New York. I got... Uh, I had hate towards my dad. My dad was a, a, a street guy, you know, a tough guy. And I wasn't. He had a way of doing things, very controlling, authority figure. I didn't like what, he was being, what I was being told. My dad didn't know how to play sports. My dad didn't know how to hit a baseball. He knew how to use a baseball bat, but he didn't know how to hit a baseball. Get it? I remember having catch at my dad. I said, this guy never picked up a ball in his life or threw a football. I know it. I liked music. And I liked art. I liked flowers growing up. I was very autistic. I was a musician. My dad thought that was kind of sissy. What do I do with this? As I got older, I despised him and his lifestyle. When I came to put it on paper, I hated my dad. And I had to admit that. But I had to admit that. It doesn't mean they're going to know I hate them. It's just I had to admit that, come to terms with that in order for me to get free. In order for us to get free, we're going to get dirty in the process. We're going to go through the archway. We're going to get squeezed. We're going to scrape our knees. We're going to scrape our knuckles. We're going to get twisted up a little bit. We have to do that, the purging that goes out on paper. But God's the one who's allowing us to purge. God's the one who's giving giving me the resentments and the truth for me to see because it's this deep down secret hidden away somewhere where no one's going to see it. No one has to see it, but it exists in me and I will continue to drink because we all got the thing or things that hurt, the things that cause rage at the drop of a dime. And we can't understand, I could never understand, why do I see the world the way I see it? Why do I hear the world the way I hear it? And why do I speak and be the way I be? It's because of all this unresolved stuff. And the great thing happened to me in 1988. As much as my mind was rebelling against the people who were giving me direction, I followed direction. I heard a gentleman Sunday night give a talk. It was a great talk. And he said a lot of the things they told me were like, didn't make sense. How's this going to keep me sober? How's that supposed to keep me sober? But he was so beat up, he's okay, I'll do it. Even though my head is telling me go this way. I identified with that. Many things they told me at the beginning, like writing inventory. I was, what is pen to paper and writing my life here? My resentments, my fear, my sex inventory. How is that supposed to bring me to God? I was so desperate, I did it. It brought me to God. 
And that's why on Wednesday nights when I speak to my sponsor from 8 to 9 o'clock, and sometimes it's a very fun call, a cordial call, we'll study scripture, we'll study book, we'll do inventory, and he will pull the covers and give me suggestions. I'm not thrilled about it. One of the suggestions he told me was in part of my amends to go back and make amends to my church, to my church community, in a confession, and take direction from the priest. I didn't really want to do that. I go to church till I can, but I have to be a mass guy and go every Sunday, every Sunday, every Sunday. But I did it. And it's been one of the greatest things that's happened to me. I feel at home finally. I've returned home because I followed direction. Regardless of what my mind told me, I do not listen to my mind. I just don't. But what we can do, and that's why I open up with two minutes of silence, what we can do is touch the undercurrent of everything, and that is this quiet, still voice. We can't create silence. We can't create that which already exists. It's always present. If I shut down for a minute, we'll have silence again. And that's the place we need to return to, the place that's always present. And that's where we get the inspiration, the intuitive voice, the God voice. And then we come to the realization, when I go to work, I go to work with God. When I go on a bike ride, I go on a bike ride with God. When I meet you, God meets God. And nothing less than that. But I got to have me out of the way. Like when I do these talks, I kid around and say, number one, I don't know what I'm going to talk about. Two, I hope I don't show up for the talk. Let God operate. Let God, I know it's a fourth step, let God operate. Because I don't want to be in control of my life. I don't have a life. I'm not in control of my life. My life is none of my business. And anytime I put my hands on a wheel, it gets dangerous. I completed my, my uh, inventory with respect to resentments, and I got to see me. The more, my first column with the name, second column with the cause, third column what it affected in me. And I wrote out my fourth column where I was selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, and frightened. My personal relationships, how I think the relationships should look in column three. My emotional security, my pocketbook, my ambition, my sex relations, my self-esteem, my pride. And every time I looked at how my pride, self-esteem, etc., was affected, it came down to, you're not going to like me. I will be alone. I will appear less than to you. I'm abandoned. Oh, my God, I'm going to die. It talks about the death of self. One of the things that we discover this when we do fear inventory is that I feel like part of me, my image, my, what I think I am, my false sense of self will die. If I lose my job, I'll have no money. Oh, my God, I'm going to die, literally die. I'm a carpenter. I can never be a school teacher. Oh, my God, I'm no longer a carpenter. My whole identity is wrapped up in being a carpenter. Oh, my God, I'm going to die. I'm going to lose my sense of identity. This relationship is over. Everything is involved with this person. Oh, my God, I'm going to die. And people literally take themselves out over these things, by the way. You'll hear new people say, I went out over a relationship. No, you didn't. You went out because you're untreated. I went out because I lost my job. No, you didn't. You went out because you're untreated, because you have no spiritual connection. If you had a spiritual connection, you get pushed back, you get swayed from side to side, a couple of bruises, but you won't drink. In fact, you won't even think about drinking. But if I'm untreated and I claim to have a relationship with God with my lips, but nothing's going on on the inside, I will drink, because that's what we do, step one. 
Anytime I try to write the script, and I tell people this all the time, including the men I sponsor, when I start, Peter Marinelli starts writing the script for my life, I don't feel it at that moment, but I've just stepped, taken a step sideways closer to a drink. And my ego says, well, you got 25 years, you'll never drink. Bull. Because if I can determine when the next drink's going to come or not come, maybe I'm not an alcoholic or maybe I'm playing God, maybe both. I'm not willing to toss the dice on that one. My book says fear is the evil and corroding threat. The fabric of my existence was shot through with it. You have a run in your shirt and you pull the thread. After five minutes, you got a handkerchief left. Just keeps pulling. Right? Shirt's ruined. They always tell you, don't pull it, just cut it, right? Great analogy for what fear does. It just cuts right through every part of me. I see through fear, I hear through fear, I speak through fear, we be through fear. Speak to folks, even civilians. Just observe the dialogue. They're trying to look good, gotta look good. Talking to your neighbor next door, elevator talk, you know the elevator people you don't know, they say good morning, and right away you got the game going on. Everything's great today, how are you? I'm fine, everything's just great. You hate your life. You hate him for asking. And you're claustrophobic, stuck in an elevator. Right? But we do that. We, you know, you walk into me, Mark, how you doing? I'm great. Oh, just by everything's great. You know, how you doing, Joe? Everything's great. You know, we're great. We're always great. Well, everybody's great. Guy's got 14 minutes over. How you doing? I'm great. You know. What a relief to come in here and say, I'm not doing so good. I don't have to pretend. I am not doing good. I'm writing inventory and I'm disturbed more than ever. In fact, it feels worse now writing inventory than it did before I started. I don't like this. Okay, good. I know what you feel like. Come with me. I don't have to pretend in here. The old timers know the newcomers are fear-based, insecure, and you guys are going to pretend we get it. It's okay. You don't have to. Show up in a sense, not literally, in the raw. Here I am. Broken and all. And let us put you back together the way people put me back together. Huh? The whole inventory is about fear. We have resentment. We have principles, institutions. We have a sex inventory. What's behind the sex inventory? Fear. Fear across the board. Because of my disconnection with God, even though I claim God with my lips, I can, I can have knowledge about Scripture. I can be a church member. I can be part of my religious community. I can know all the verses, hit my knees up, down, sideways. Got it all. Leave, and I'm fear again. I'm fear. And our book says, we got to do something about this. we got to get you to God, so let's examine what's in the way. Let's take a look at some of these fears. I had fear of heights, fear of bugs, fear of firemen, fear of just everything. Fear of dying, fear of living too long, fear of being poor, fear of having too much money, fear of poor health. Just over and over and over again, because all of those things would expose me. I didn't like being in the limelight. Remember, my mom threw a party for me, and they start singing happy birthday, and I hid under the table. Another time, I didn't show up. I took off. I can't, don't get close, just stay over there, and when I call you in, just move in slowly. How can I have relationships with people when I got fear driving me? How do I have an intimate relationship with a woman when I'm full of fear? Well, you're going to leave anyway, so I might as well ruin it now and get out of here. I'll do something to screw it up. That's how we operate. 
And how could I trust this, this, this being called God that I can't see? I can't touch, I can't feel, I can't hear it, I can't smell it. You're telling me to trust my life with something that's out there? You need a drink, not me. Back to step one. What do I got to lose? Nothing. I can go back to being sick, restless, ill, and discontented, and I'd fall down drunk. What do I got to lose? Nothing. So I said, okay, I'm going to trust you that you trust. And the elders were bearing witness for me. I trusted you. You were walking the walk. You seem to have it together. You're talking about this guy, God, and you're doing certain things. Okay, I'm trusting you. And that was the step up to get to God. They said, okay, let's write some inventory. There's no amen after the third step. There is one after seven because it's a body of work that I have to go in and search. And the only one who can take me in and help me search and expose what's in the way is God, not me. Because if I don't do that, I just reinvent myself. I justify and minimize everything. And I have nothing on paper. I'll do this, this thing. I don't know where it started. I'll write an autobiography. That's just an exercise in ego. Autobiography does nothing to get me well. Except I look at myself and say, well, I'm a pretty good guy. Right? But it's about disregarding what everyone else did, even if you did bad things to me. So I wrote this fear inventory. And I've, I've written fear inventory a hundred different ways. The way the book says, obviously. But what I've learned is the longer we're sober and the more we do this work, the ego gets just as sharp. And what we call it in my lineage, we've got to trick the ego. The ego knows what's about to come up. I'm about to write my four column. The ego knows what's going to happen. Ego knows I'm about to write fear inventory. How do I trick the ego and come in through the back door? So I've written fear inventory many ways. One of the most effective was, was to write my fear. Why do I have this fear? You know, fear of getting old. Why do I have it? I'll be feeble, sick, vulnerable, need people. And then I wrote in the third column, how did self-reliance fail me? And I would list how self-reliance was failing me. And I got to look at my control. And then it asked me, how did I set the ball rolling? What did I do? Fear, it says, ought to be classed with stealing. Stealing is a choice. I make a choice to go steal. It's not like addiction. I had no power, choice, control over the next drink or, or drug. But stealing, I would say, yeah, I think I can rip that off. Fear, we step into fear. I can go to God or step into fear, even currently. So I get to see where I set the ball rolling. What put this fear in place and what kept fear going? Usually self-reliance, pride, ego, right? self-seeking, things like that. And I would list those things. And over and over and over again, I would see me at work, me at work. And here's what I learned in fear inventory and in resentment inventory and in my sex inventory, especially the resentment inventory. My fourth column is real. My fourth column where I was selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, and frightened, that is real. That was my thinking and my actions. I couldn't deny that. Based on the first three columns, which in reality were nothing but a lie. Those things happened. I really felt that way, but it was based on my mind seeing things through its own filter. It was a lie. I've been living a lie my entire life. 
Oh, things happened to me. People treated me poorly. Bad things happened to me growing up. Can't deny that. That's, that's in stone. That's concrete. But how I filtered it through this sick mind was completely wrong. My whole life, actions were based on a lie. What a rude awakening for that one. And then I wrote Sex Inventory. And our, our book has questions about the sex inventory. Again, we got to trick the ego. How do I come out sex inventory a little different? You know, how to look at my ideas of what a real man looks like, what a woman's supposed to look like, wasn't only the act of sex, right? Our book says many of us needed an overhauling there. We hardly be human if we didn't, we all got it. Then we have not the right kind of sex, too much sex, too little sex, it just goes on and on and on. How I think I'm supposed to treat a woman because I know how she knows, how I, I'm thinking she knows how uh, I'm supposed to treat her. Trouble in personal relationships all the time. I think I shared a week or two ago that I grew up in really like old school kind of thinking. And the thinking I grew up with was a woman's places in the home. And no woman in my family worked. The men would not hear of it. No woman worked in growing up my family. And we would hear neighbors on the block where the wife was working or the daughter had a little part-time job. Something was radically wrong in that household. <laughs> Woman didn't go off to college. She's a rebel if she did. And I remember uh, dating and uh, uh, my first love, she decided she was going to go to NYU and go to college. And I thought something was wrong with this woman. How could she disrespect me? She's going to college. We're no longer together. <laughs> so I take a look at that stuff. And I got to see myself on paper. So my sex inventory wasn't only about sex. It was about relationships as a man behaving around a woman. What that looked like. A man, me, behaving around other men. How do I think other men should behave? I had expectations on men on how they should be when I can never even live up to that. My idea of a real man was like John Wayne as a gangster. <laughs> with a lot of money. To give you an idea, to illustrate that, that's what I thought a real man should be. I was so far from that yet. So I had this internal conflict on how I'm supposed to be too late. What a mess. And all I did was try to scratch and claw and try to figure it out, try to figure it out. I'll change this way. If I'm around musicians, I'm a musician. If I'm around hippies, I'll be a hippie. If I'm around gangsters, I'll play that role. If I'm around athletes, I'll be an athlete. I don't know what I was doing anymore. Completely lost. Lost my compass. Give me a drink. I don't care. Step five says that if we skip this vital step, we may not overcome drinking. That's a clear-cut warning in my big book. So in order to do step five, I have to do step four. If I do step four the way the book says, I need to take a good third step, which means on my knees, a third step prayer with an elder, a sponsor, which means I came to terms with steps two and one. I looked at principles and institutions in my inventory, and the last thing I wrote down was my sex goal and ideal for my future sex life, how that should look. Quite simply, it looked like the opposite of every place I fell short in my sex life. And how I treated a woman, I looked at the opposite. How I behaved around men, I looked at the opposite. My ideas about uh, sex in general and intimacy, emotional intimacy, physical intimacy, everything was the opposite. I put it in the prayer and it came down to all love and no opposite in everything I do. 
Simple. My sponsor had me write an assignment one time, write down your idea of a real man. And I wrote down this John Wayne, John Gotti character. That, why not? Everyone loves John Wayne, and coming from where I come from, this other guy was somewhat of a hero. That's a man's man. Fear nothing. My sponsor hung up the phone on me. <laughs> I wrote another assignment. I rewrote it. Came up with something a little bit better. Not yet. Third time. I said something like, carried a vision of God's will into all my activities. And he says, or, all love and no opposite. That's what makes you a man. All love and no opposite. You don't need money to do that. You don't need a job to do that. You don't have to be a guru to do that. You just have to be a child of God, which is what you are. In order to carry that out, we need to access God's power. I can't be in the way of that process. I gain all by losing all to the removal of self. Can have outer riches and inner poverty, but I gain this power when I lose mine. I gain the access to God. I start to experience God when I lose me completely. I can will that. I can wish it. I can try it. The only way it's going to happen is four through nine. It's not easy, but God will be the spiritual, the, push the pen to be the spiritual translator. God will move through us. If you really want to find God, if you really want to experience God, do a, a thorough inventory out of, out of our big book. Follow direction in the big book with an elder, a sponsor, a teacher. Watch what happens somewhere during that inventory when that pen starts to go and stuff starts to pop. And your intent is on getting well, not compliance, but a complete surrender. In losing and surrendering, we gain, we get. The humble man seeks nothing and gets everything. The person who's full of greed and wants, wants everything and achieves nothing. It's outer riches and inner poverty. And step four and five are force-feeding. It's a force-feeding of humility. But in that humility, we experience God. They go together. My ego and God are diametrically opposed. They're not going to be in the same room together. Sorry. But humility and God is the same thing. I only get that to the dismantling of me. Well, here rubber hits the road. Welcome to the NFL. I can go to meetings and dump my problems for five or ten minutes and go to the next meeting and do the same thing and chase my tail forever trying to find little spots where that was an inspirational meeting, feel good for an hour, and then the next day's on me again, and someone else disappoints me. And I'm walking around polluted. I walked around polluted for a long time. And because I'm going to meetings doesn't mean I'm not polluted. In fact, what I'm probably doing is sharing my pollution with a newcomer who doesn't know better. So we have a responsibility. So when I approach this work with the intent of experiencing God, with the intent, the pure intent, I want to get well, which means I'm going to take direction from my elders that I don't necessarily like, but I'm willing to do it. My intent is I want to get well. I want to know you, Father. Incredible things start to happen. Our book says, indeed, the miraculous. And I'm here to bear witness for anyone that doubts this process, believe that I believe. Because based on my track record, a different speaker is supposed to be doing this 12-week workshop. I'm not supposed to be sober based on my track record like many of us. I don't even know if I'm supposed to be in jail. Probably by now, the way I was going, probably dead. But I don't know that for sure. But good chance. And you know who cries? Because I'm gone. 
is the people who love me. We forget that in early sobriety when we're running the show, when we insist on running the show my way. I know what's right for me. We forget that once we die, if we think we're not, but we are, as the res direct result of drinking and doing other stuff, that the families, the wives, the children weep forever. But our ego is so out of control, we forget that part. Why? Because we're selfish and self-centered. Yeah. Ego is the size of the state of Texas, an inferiority complex. Why do I be concerned about you? You should be concerned about me. I don't care about you. It's how we operate. Let's not talk about me. Let's talk about you. What do you think of me? I mean, it's how we do it. <laughs> so I complete this whole body of work in step four. And where do I go? To sit down with the sponsor in five. And again, it was uncomfortable. I've gone through the work a whole bunch of times. And uh, every time I've sat down with my sponsor, I'm hoping he has the flu so he don't show up. <laughs> I get the squirrely feeling that the butterflies. I've gone to work a whole bunch of times, 1, 2, 9, 10, 11, 12, 1, 2, 9, 10, 11, and 12. And every time I'm about to do a fifth step, I get uncomfortable. I remember the first time I did, I was really praying that my sponsor would not show up or cancel or just something would get in the way of this because I knew what I was in for. And I remember what I did was, uh, because I was uh, living with my kid brother, because I had nowhere else to go after I left, uh, came home from Minnesota. My brother put me up in his place. And um, I hit my knees and I begged God to get me to my sponsor's house. That I really didn't know what was going to happen. But I did know if I didn't do this fifth step, I'm going to drink and I don't want to drink anymore. And that was it. Next thing I know, I was knocking on his door and we began. And I learned valuable lessons in this first fifth step on the great love God has for me, that teacher, and for us. I've done everything to screw up my life that God gave me. I've done everything to tear up the directions on how to live life that God gave me. I burned every bridge that God built for me. I've destroyed relationships that were given to me. I've ruined a few relationships, the women in those, in those their lives. Thank God they got back together, not because I'm so powerful, but I brought them into my world of addiction. Right? And over and over and over again, my mind would not let me see that truth, what I turned into. I got to talk about that in five with a gentleman who walked the same path, who knew about the busted relationships, who knew about burning bridges, who knew about severing relationships with his mom and dad, and it went on and on and on. He walked my walk spoke my language. I couldn't get that from a therapist. I couldn't get that from a treatment center. I couldn't get that from a shrink. I couldn't get that from even my priest that they weren't alcoholic. But this sponsor was an alcoholic and did what I did. Different time, different place. Did what I did. Felt like I did. Felt and thought like I thought. He knew me. I remember we prayed. We got silent. And he says, off we go. And what he had in front of him was a notepad and a pen and a big book. And I do what he did for me. He said, I'm going to take notes while you're speaking. I don't want you to read anything other than what you wrote. You know, because what we do is resentment, mom, cause. Let me explain what happened. We always have to explain, right? He's don't explain. Because now your ego's jumping in there and covering its ass. Just read what's on paper because that's what God gave you. So that's what I did and that's what I do with men now. I don't want to hear anything other than what you put on paper. 
and I take notes, and the notes are the defects that keep showing up, the behavior that keeps showing up. Here we are at 10 or 15 years old, now we're 40 and 50, it's the same thing. Different players, different neighborhood, we're a little bit old, it's the same thing, over and over and over, and I can sit down and say, hey Joe, when you were 10 you did this, when you were 20 you did it, you're 45, you're still doing the same thing, you get it? It's the same defect. It's all a fear defect which has tentacles. They start to wake up. I had a great experience uh, um, hearing a guy's fifth step one time. I was living in Staten Island, and um, I call this guy, uh, I'll change his name for the sake of this. I call him Loophole Joe. This guy was trying to find a loophole in God. I mean, it was just ridiculous. And every time he started to read, he said, well, let me explain, let me explain, let me explain. And I had to shut him down, and I couldn't take it. And I says, we're going to stop. I went into my bathroom, throwing cold water on my face. I'm trying to calm down. I'm fuming, steam coming out of my head. And I said, God, I don't, I don't know what to do with this guy. I don't know what to do. I'm battling an ego the size of this room. I don't know what to do. He's just not shifting. And so I surrendered. His father, just guide me through this inventory. I'm trying to be a servant here, but I'm lost. And um, I sit down at the dining room table, and it was a pause. And I said to him, Joe... For the rest of the inventory, all I want you to do is read your fourth column. And he said, yeah, but. I says, I understand, but just read your fourth column. Just read your fourth column. And I couldn't believe those words were even coming out of my mouth. This is like blasphemy. You can't do this. Right? Some of the big book monsters, oh, he's all screwing this one up. But it's about this book taking me to God for God to inspire me. And so he started reading just the fourth column. Selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, frank, turn the page. Selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, frank, turn the page. And then something happened. This was the greatest experience for me and for him. This guy split right open. And what emerged was this God person. His complexion changed. Words don't do justice. But I watched this guy at my, 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 my living room table, my dining room table, just split wide open. A glow. His eye, I could see his eyes. Something happened within that manifested out through doing a fifth step. I went to God and said, show me how to help one of your children. My job is to bring your kids back to you. So I need something here because I'm failing. I'm not getting it. But that was all part of the road. And then God says, okay, hear the words, go. Like when we do this, we don't know what we're going to say. And God says, hear the words. And the guy split right over. That guy till today, because I just met a friend at this last workshop I was doing who sees this guy regularly. He's sponsoring like a whole bunch of guys. He has been for years. Always goes to a meeting with a big book. Will not go to a meeting into a meeting without a big book. The guy loves God. The guy split wide open in front of me has been changed forever. By doing the fifth step. So much for don't drink, go to meetings, make 90 meetings in 90 days, huh? Huh? Because then the book would have said in the big book, make 90 meetings in 90 days, don't drink, go to meetings, put the plug in a jug, that's all you need to do. Make a lot of coffee. The big book would be one page, don't drink, go to meetings, that's it, go home. <laughs> right. Now that might ruffle some feathers, my intent is not to do that, but it's the truth and I won't lie to a drunk. And God gave me a test for 12 weeks through an invitation. I'm not going to get up here and lie and tell everything you want to hear because then I might be killing somebody and I can't do that anymore. Hmm? My first fifth step took a few hours and we stopped, came back the next day, did a few more hours. We stopped, came back, did a few more, few more uh, hours of that and it finally got done. 
And every time I've done inventory, my sponsors have never been marathon guys. They stay there for a couple of hours, we'll pick it up tomorrow. And they all take notes the way I do that with men. And they read to me, and I get in there with them, and I gotta hear what they're not telling me. I watch body language a lot, even at my work. I watch body language. I know when we hit a soft spot when they start to shift, and it's always around the sex inventory. Because a lot of guys have stuff that they don't want to talk about because it's a threat to their manhood and things we do and have been done to us. But if there's a name for it, it's already been done, you're not alone, huh? And when I speak to the woman, they got the same thing. Because even though we have gender is different, spirit is spirit. Spirit doesn't know gender. God created a man, God created a woman, spirit is spirit. That's why if you talk, a man talks to a woman drunk about feelings and alcoholism, they lock in, they know exactly, we know each other. When you're talking to another drunk and you have no other motives other than speak to another drunk and help, there's no gender involved in that. It's just one drunk meeting a drunk or God meeting God. And that's why what we get in AA is so freeing and wonderful, and there's so much abundance in so many of our meetings. Not every meeting, but so many of our meetings. Meetings are awake, are spiritually awake. We're talking about God. We're talking about the books. We're talking about getting well, doing inventory. Who's sponsoring who? This enlightenment that we walk into in Alcoholics Anonymous, rather than don't drink, go to meetings, put the plug in a jug, share a burning desire, let's get out of here. Because I need another meeting afterwards. We come to get, we stay to give. So my job is to give through invitation and bring God's children back to God the way my sponsor continues to bring me back to God. But the great thing I found out about this power of God, there is no proximity when it comes to God. Hmm? Book says great realities deep down within. I have to go anywhere. I can sit on my living room couch, I could be in the gym, I can be in the park, I could be here and have just as much God in me as I did when I'm in sitting in mass. There is no proximity when it comes to God. And my belief is to say God's out there and if I'm really, really good, maybe they'll have a committee meeting and let me in. What do I do now though? I get me out of the way and suddenly I start to see God in you and I start to see God in you and I start to see God in you, even with all your faults, the way you see God in me with all my faults and suddenly the world looks a little different. And with the carpet that says we can wear the world like a loose garment, oh my Lord, what great words and what true words, we wear the world like a loose garment with all the stuff that's coming at us. And I'll get agitated and I'll get doubtful and I'll get upset and I'll cry sometimes. But the world's worn like a loose garment. Pretty cool. How'd that happen? I just walked into AA. I didn't know anything. Had no experiences with God. And suddenly God keeps giving. In order for God to be, he has to give. In order for me to be, I need to receive. Am I receiving? How do I receive? By seeking. Huh? What great information. 164 pages. I was sharing with some folks the other day. I read, I don't know where I read this, but the number two best-seller book of all time next to Scripture is the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Of all time. Scripture, you would expect. Scripture, of course. The Bible, number one. What's the second book of all time? Is our big book. You think it has some significance. So I'll close with this. Then why do we go to AA meetings and they don't want to talk about the book? 
There's something wrong with the meeting. Not the book, not AA. AA is perfect. AA is divinely inspired. AA is pristine. AA is sacred. The players missed it. So you young folks who are going to be elder statesmen soon, and I'll be wheeling here on a wheelchair maybe one day, I'm leaning on you guys, man. Carry the torch, huh? That's all I got. Peace.